Hey everyone, welcome to episode 98 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast to, uh, like, kind of run roughshod <laughs> over the invitation off this past weekend, huh? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm, I'm CCR, here with Collins. Collins yep. fresh off of a, an Envy Top 8, second Top 8. Got another one, feels That's good. exciting. <laughs> Yeah, hello weekend for us. Yeah, as so a, as a group, right? Yeah, and the whole house. You made top sixteen of the Invitational. Zan made top sixteen of the Invitational. Yeah, uh, Jeremy made Jeremy Cash, uh, and I made top eight. So and Jeremy Cashing put him in top thirty two for the season. Of the leaderboard. Yeah. Yep. Got that by. And uh, we also can't forget that a member of Team Lotus Box yep. managed to finish the season first on the leaderboard. And he's with us, Abe. <laughs> yes, I'm here. And Welcome, I'm Abe. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, dude. How does it feel? It felt it feels really really good, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I worked really really hard this season, and you know, paying off. So feels good. Yeah. Um, before we get too into that, I'm gonna take one second and thank our patrons. So we actually have a bunch of new patrons this past week, which is really exciting. Um, thank you guys so much for joining up. Thanks to everybody who has been a patron and has stuck with us. Um, you guys are super awesome and really helps us keep doing this. So. JJ, Julian, thank you so much. Brent, Nicholas, Matthew, another Matthew, Mike, and Michael. Okay, a couple of, you know, a little bit of overlap there, a couple of double up names, but, you know, thanks to each of you individually. Alan and Brent edited their pledges up, which is, you know, super cool. I, I think that that definitely deserves a shout because that makes me feel really good. It makes me feel like we're doing something right here. So thank you guys so much. Uh, really, really appreciate it. And we will do our best to keep bringing you guys the best product that we can make. And hopefully over the next couple of weeks, uh, the changes that we've got coming up will make it even better. So thank you so much. But anybody who wants to lend us some support can head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Really appreciate it. Will help us continue to develop this little studio space that we're making here. Yep. And you know, get cool guests like Abe to come hang out. I'm, we're not, we're not paying you. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we do want to hear about this season. So, did you start out at the beginning of the season, really aiming for points, or did you, you know, sort of trip into some and think, okay, this is the one where I've really got to go hard? How did this like season start out for you? Well, I started right before the season. I was playing a bunch of GPs, but they sort of changed the system and nuked it a little bit. So I decided a little to, bit. <laughs> yeah. So I decided to try my hands at a little bit of SCG. And luckily, I won the first tournament, which was pretty nice yep. and gave me two buys early on in the season, which solidified like me wanting to grind the tournaments. Mm -hmm. And I held two buys for most of it. It's sort of easy to get lost in the sauce of it all. Like each week, you're just going to the next tournament. You don't really know what's happening. And I was extremely unknown before the season. And like then I uh, got on Team Lowe's box and... I just kept going to every tournament and people would start to like know who I was or whatever. And so you get sort of get lost in the sauce of it. And now I've sort of had a moment to reset after making the Players' Championship where it has just all sort of hit me of like how amazing the season was, especially because I'm super hard on myself a lot. And it's just been really nice to, after the season, look back and be like, no, I did a really good thing and I closed it out strong. And it was a monumentous season for me. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we you know we were kind of sitting on number one for a while there. Did you feel pretty comfortable kind of leading into the invitational weekend of your spot, or? You know? Um, I felt comfortable like underneath it all, but I sort of made myself not feel comfortable because mm -hmm. 
there was a chance that I didn't make it and I didn't want to set myself up to be complacent in my testing or just right. get ahead of myself that I was cued. So it sort of really hit me during day two once Zan picked up his fourth loss, which is awkward because Zan's my teammate, but once right. he picked up his fourth loss, I knew that I was mathematically locked. Yeah. Um, so that was sort of nice. But I knew that it was really, really likely once Stilks didn't make day two because it's just really hard for... You'd that. have to get jumped by two. Yeah, people, people have to like it would be. It'd have to be like the leaderboard would have to be in like first, second, third, or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. Well, and they can't, it couldn't be first because first cues them for the the PC by being the yeah. winner. So then. well, so that was actually actually it was actually bad for me because being first cues you for the PC, but it doesn't go down to fourth place. It actually just puts another at large bid at oh, the end of the year. Oh, gotcha. So, so it's actually bad for me. In gotcha. that if someone got first, I get more points and probably jump me. So it was, I see. that was actually poor for me, but, but it obviously didn't corner case. Yeah. yeah. So as far as like how the sort of like season unfolded for you. So, you know, you were not with Team Lotus Box at the beginning of the season. Um, what was your like testing process before yeah. that? I think that that was a really big part of the season for me where I remember less about each individual tournament and more about the, cause you put so many more hours in testing and talking to people and you do actually at the tournament site. So I would say that it sort of went in stages throughout the season at the beginning of the season, after getting first, I sort of formed a group with Zach Keeney, Oliver Tomiko, Ethan Gajewski, and a bunch of sort of those people who weren't on a team, but were all very, very good and probably better than me. And so we all, form banded together for week one of the first Ravnica set standard tournament. I'm not don't remember the name. Guilds of Ravnica. Guilds of Ravnica, that's the one. Um so for that one, we ended up I was playing a really, really bad Sultai deck for a while, and then we ended up playing the good Sultai deck, which was just the Explorer deck playing Krasis when that card came out. And I top aided that tournament. And that was really good because that was the first time I'd really tested in like a team environment where everyone was really good and playing together you know i'd been testing with you know local people or whatever or you know have a small group of people but it was a larger group so that was a nice thing for me and then sort of just moved on with the season i got really close with ethan and we played a lot together and i would say that he was my main person i was testing with for the first half things sort of shifted with lotus box where then i obviously started testing more with lotus box and that's been really great culminating i think in these last two weeks where i've been here in north carolina testing with lotus box where we test really well for the Envy, Collins and John top aided, and I 11 fived, uh, Zan X Ford, Chris X Ford. So we had a lot of success in the last couple weeks, and that's felt really, really validating and good. Yeah, I mean, that's that's been a really big thing for me. You know, I'm not on Team Lotus Box. I don't have, I'm not able to sit down and test in the way that, that you guys have been able to. Mm-hmm. Um, but being in this environment, it's really easy to just like, pick stuff up like i come in i play as much as i can and i listen to what everybody's talking about and you always like feel like we're always coming to like really good lists so yeah even if you can't play a ton see that that's huge i wasn't able to play modern almost at all leading up to the envy but then i went to zan he gave me a list we tweaked the sideboard Mm -hmm. we had a phoenix list like and it It was was excellent yeah it was excellent exactly yeah so that's been really nice for sure yeah so let's Let's talk about the Envy. Yeah. Collins, <laughs> you top aided. I did, I top aided. Dude, congrats. It was great. In Modern, I played Dredge. <laughs> and that was, you know, in terms of, like, the testing process, we tested a lot, a lot for Standard. Mm-hmm. You know, we were we were pretty much always on Arena playing something or other for Standard. Um, just because that, that was kind of the unknown quantity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the quantity that, like, moves really fast. We need to make sure that we're up to date on it. But for Modern, I just kind of knew that 
there were a couple of decks that I could fall back on and play very well, kind of no matter what. So one of the points during the week leading up to the Invitational was the point where I was, you know, I just decided that I was going to lock in Dredge no matter what. Like, I figured that it was going to be a very powerful deck that was going to be very proactive, and I knew how to play around all the sideboard hate, which is pretty much the entirety of playing Dredge. Mm -hmm. So I felt really comfortable with that, and I was able to just kind of, like, shelve that testing and be like, okay, I'm going to play Dredge. I'll just play the list that I think is going to do the best. I ended up playing Oliver Tomiko's 75 that he won with, I just swapped the main deck Ghost Quarter for main deck Blast Zone. That was the only change that I made. It's literally um, a statement of yeah. what deck are you worried about right. being highly played in the tournament. Yeah, right. And Blast Zone is just great. So I, you know, I wanted it in the main deck. So we haven't actually like sat down and talked about what Blast Zone does for Dredge right now. Yeah. So uh, for anybody who doesn't know, can you just talk about that a little bit? I think the, the biggest matchup that got a huge change in was the matchup against humans. <laughs> mm-hmm. Post-board, the humans player can't... Pre-board, the games are great for Dredge because you're just more powerful than them and you run them over. But post-board, the humans game plan against you is to try to like lock you out and mill you out because they're not really going to be able to punch through like all of your creeping chills and you know, ground blockers and just, like, casting sequin ups. Um, they, they really have to try to, like, lock up the board, have enough meddling mages on key cards to make sure that you can't really operate appropriately. You know, locking out your conflagrate is really important. And then, you know, if they can do that and then board stall, you know, yeah, eventually... The Oriok Champion, yeah. like, wall. Yeah, Oriok Champion is a huge element of it, where Oriok Champion, you know, like, prevents them from dying. You can't really burn them out anymore. You can't kill it with any of your cards. And, you know, they just get enough life where they can just sit there. Right. But now with Blast Zone, when those games go really long post-board and they're, like, trying to lock you out, you can just eventually mill over and loan back a Blast Zone a couple of times, and yeah. it just blows up their entire board. And so the, the, the matchup against humans, like, went from, like, pretty favorable to just, like, I, I'm not sure that you can yeah. lose that matchup anymore. I actually felt it to be slightly unfavored post-board when they had a configuration with Cage and Oriok Champions. Yeah, yeah. But it's just such a huge shift that now that card is just totally obsolete, Mm -hmm. where that plan is not only... It's not worse because it's one card, it's just totally doesn't work. Right. And that was, the, that was like, their plan A. Right, yeah. So you right. just took away their plan A, and now they just don't know what to do. Yeah. And I just don't even think you can play that card in the humans board anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that was another good thing for the weekend, is that a lot of the humans players still were playing it, and that's yeah. just amazing for us. Right. I, I didn't see any lists of humans that, that seemed to have, I like, think that uh, the, the graveyard hit that I did see against, that I did play against uh, from humans was, uh, like, a couple of ravenous yeah. traps. Okay. Yeah. That was what they meant um, to yeah, but and the, the other problem with humans though is that like they have no ways of finding these cards other than just like having it in their right. top ten cards or yeah. whatever. Um, you get blast zone if the game goes. Oh well yeah, it, I'm gonna find a blast zone, um, yeah. even though there's only one in my deck, which is a really good feeling. But you know, outside of that, it just like adds another element where you can you just have it to blow up like various permanents if you need it. Um, but it's not really super important most of the time in a lot of other matchups. It's yeah. just kind of like you know, an extra tool that you can have access to that can can be really good. I brew up, like, an ensnaring bridge out of a Karn deck, you know, one time just kind of, like, incidentally, and I was like, ah, I'm so happy that this card is in my deck. But um, outside of that, it's just it's just a decent card. Yeah. Would you main deck it again if you could play the tournament again? Because for me, my Blast Zone was actually kind of bad because you cut a five-color land, like a the Mana Confluence slash Gemstone Mind slot for it, mm-hmm. and it punished me a couple times where I couldn't keep one-landers or sure. the top decking or whatever, where it, would, it actually did punish me, and I think that 
the only matchup where it is really good is humans, and it's only really post board because of how yeah. how they're playing. Um, I'm not sure. It you're right in that it didn't really come up for me a lot pre board, other than that one time that I was able to blow up an insaring bridge. So I'm not, I'm actually not sure. I think that it would be very reasonable to to put it back in the yeah. sideboard because your game ones are just great, anyways, yeah. in pretty much every matchup. You don't you know you don't really need that mm-hmm. as much. I, I think it would be totally reasonable to put it back in the board. This is also kind of a conversation for, like, modern three months from now. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Right. Post-ban yeah. modern. And, right, yeah, yeah moving forward in modern. <laughs> <That's we're, fair. laughs> modern's going to be... I don't know if you're going to be able to play Cathargreen and Dredge much unless something else happens. Narcomoeba does not cast a certain black or gray card. <laughs> what's, that, what's that card called again? Nobody, cr- nobody pronounces it correctly. <laughs> we have it. It is Hogak. I've heard it wrong on several podcasts, so... Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk more about Hogak. Towards the end of yeah, the podcast. Yeah, we'll, we'll get like, there. Yeah. But it's a boogeyman, right. so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, right. So back to the kind of the invitational. I ended up going 6-1 and one in modern. Uh, I was able to draw in the last round, so 6-1-1 mm-hmm. um, overall. And the deck just felt phenomenal. Uh, people were kind of worried that, like, because Oliver won the previous tournament, that, you know, there's going to be more hate for Dredge. And I think there was a little bit more hate for Dredge. But I certainly um, had three rav traps yeah. in my sideboard. Yeah, but the it just didn't feel like it mattered. Like yeah. Dredge is just broken. It's so good. It's really good. Yeah, I just you know, you just get to roll over people. You, um, you felt the same way about yeah. it during I the also tournament. went six two with it and okay. I just didn't hit the hate. I think some other people did. Like I know that Mythicos yeah. all played it and their record with Dredge was really, really bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so maybe we just got a little lucky, but that's I, how I certainly got lucky that tournament. Yeah. That's yeah. just how it goes. Absolutely. Similar with your standard deck. Yeah, you, you picked one that you were kind of banking on getting a little bit lucky. Right. So in standard, I ended up playing uh, blue-green mass manipulation. Um, essentially just a blue-green ramp deck with top end of Nyssa, Who, Shake the World, Who Shakes the World, and mass manipulation and hydrid crisis. And that, so I did a lot of testing with that deck, and uh, the reason that I came to it was that it crushed all of the decks that I expected to face at the tournament. So the the big archetypes were Esper Hero and Command the Dread Horde. Command the Dread Horde. Yeah, just like the these like you know mid rangey decks that are like trying to go over the top of each other. Uh, none of those decks can really compete with the resolved mass manipulation. You just you, it's just not the axis that they're trying to fight you on. Right, and you're just going over the top of them. You get to. Like, they get to resolve their command, the Dreadhorde, and then you win the game when yeah. you cast your big sorcery right. after them. Yeah. And then the other, like, big archetype that I felt heavily favored in was actually Gruul. I, you know, Gruul just, their clock wasn't quite fast enough to put me under enough pressure. And then, you know, their deck is just a bunch of, like, really big it's a lot threats. Of fours. Yeah, a lot of, like, four and five mana threats that they have to spend four and five mana on. And then <laughs> if I just get a bunch of mana, I can just take them all, yeah. you know, and, and then the game ends. So the, that felt and really the good. more your mass manipulation is for, like the more efficient it is at oh, stealing yeah, the force. Yeah, 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 no, for sure. So, uh, but the one matchup that was really rough for mass manipulation is Monored, mm-hmm. and you know Monored for a long time has been the boogeyman of standard. But I had a pretty hard read on what I expected to happen in this tournament, which was that I knew that all of the high-level players that were going to be at this tournament were going to be playing Esper. Esper mm-hmm. was everywhere, and everybody loved Esper. And the deck was clearly very, very strong. The big factor of that is that Esper beat up on red really, really well. 
So I expected there to be a decent amount of red at the tournament, but I did not expect it to do well. Mm-hmm. Um, so day one, I was pretty worried about, because the first four rounds of the tournament were with standard. So I thought it was very reasonable that in, during the first four rounds of standard, I was going to play against some red decks. Mm-hmm. But I felt comfortable making this call of playing this deck that loses to red but beats up on all these Esper decks because I knew that later on in the tournament, there, it was just going to be a bunch of Esper decks. And they would kind of, you know, red, I didn't expect red to have a very good win rate later on in the tournament. Mm-hmm. So I figured that if I could dodge in day one, um, or at least, like, you know, scrape through day one with, like, you know, maybe I lose a couple times to red in, like, 2-2 standard or something, mm-hmm. then, you know, Make up hopefully Dredge can carry me to day two, and yep. then in day two I felt really comfortable. Yeah. I ate it day the... one instead, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a nice, reasonable yeah. 8-0 finish. Kind of really what your the meat and potatoes yeah, day yeah. one finish. No, it was, it was great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, and and I was, I was lucky enough to dodge all the red decks, <laughs> and uh, Evan Whitehouse, who played the same deck, did not dodge the red decks early on, and he his tournament ended pretty early. Yeah, he went 1-3. Um, yeah, so... Did he lose to all red decks, or...? Mm, I, he lost to two red decks, okay. and then one other thing. I know he had played against a couple, but... Um, but, like, that's that's exactly the risk that you both knew you were Yeah, and I was on. talking about it going into the tournament, and I, you know, Dylan was asking me about, like, how comfortable I felt with blue-green... And I was like, Dylan, I I believe that there's a very reasonable ter- chance that my tournament ends very early on, but I'm fine with that because I want to try to win this tournament. So well, I remember you specifically saying one of your reasons for picking the deck was because the top eight was standard. Yes, right. And I knew the top eight was standard, and I wanted to have an easy top eight. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, didn't quite work out that way. Right. That well, was... but I felt so justified because the entirety of the top eight was good matchups for me, mm-hmm. except for one mono white player yep. who I would have only had to face in the finals, and he would have had to get through uh, a command the dreadhorde deck and an esper deck, which are both not great matchups for him. Mm-hmm. So going into the top eight, I felt like this is exactly what I planned out. I feel really good about my process leading into the tournament. I feel very justified in it. It didn't end up working out, but um, I'm, you know, I'm happy that I put myself in that position. Right. Yeah. I, and I mean, it's a game of percentages. Yeah. Like, who knows what, if we played that top eight a few more times, probably not quite the same results. We, you, know, right. you would think, at least. Yeah, for sure. Um, Abe, what, you played Esper in Standard? Yeah, I played Esper. I had a lot of thoughts on Standard. I think that, so I came to Blue, Green, and Esper as the two decks I was considering. Uh, I sort of had the opposite, just separate uh, result that I wanted than Collins, where he said, oh, I want to spike this tournament if I dodge red, where I was like, I just really want a 10-6 or 11-5 right. to lock yeah. the piece. Your, your right. motivations yeah. are very different yeah. here. It did, that was a small factor, but it didn't really play into my selection. Mm-hmm. I thought that specifically our Esper list, we had a second Command the Dreadhorde main, and we had a couple of Night Veil Predators in the board, made us really favored in the mirror, and the mirror I felt was really skill-intensive, and a lot of times I don't really like mirror matches, but this mirror match I thought operated on a lot of different levels, where there were these looming threats of things like Command the Dreadhorde and the Elder Spell. There were these sort of board states of the Planeswalkers versus the creatures that I thought were pretty interactive and maneuvering around Oath of Kaya, which, where do you want to go? Planeswalkers are face was really skill-intensive, and Bellhaunt being a 3-4 was nice. For example, a play pattern that I love to do was I would just always cast my Bellhaunt into my opponent's Teferi 3, because they would bounce it, and then i just recast my Bellhaunt, and I'd be up 6 life, and then I knew I had 2 Command the Dreadhordes where going mm. late in game 1. I would just let them bounce my thing and just gain a bunch of life, and then my commands would just always end the game on the spot. Sure. So that matchup I liked, and so 
that actually played into it where I felt like I was favored in the mirror, whereas normally you're supposed to evaluate it as a 50-50 in your matchup spreads. So because I felt I was favored, it just pushed the deck over the edge where I thought I was good against uh, the Monored decks, I thought I was good against the Gruul decks, and I thought that post-board against Mass Manipulation, it wasn't that bad for me. I thought that it was pretty close to even post-board just because you have Duress and Dovin's Veto and Kai's Wrath even. Uh, it just helps you clean up these sticky board states and then answer the couple things that matter. That that's actually a specific question I was going to ask is how high are you on wrath against the yeah. the the mana dork decks? Yeah. Game one is horrible, but mm-hmm. game two and three are pretty salvageable and fifty fifty. I felt so with with being favored in the mirror is why I played the Esper deck and I just really enjoyed playing it and was winning a ton in testing. We were hovering around like top ten mythic for a long time. I guess that was just my thought process that went into standard, mm-hmm. pretty much. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, yeah, as far as like fighting the, I, I mean, so th- so these are like two of the big decks going forward. I would think mm-hmm. is the mass manipulation decks, whether it's Bant or Simic, and then of course Esper is just around. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to fighting the decks, um, one thing that I noticed uh, was that people didn't seem to be prioritizing aiming removal spells at your lands after you animated them with Nissa as much as maybe they should. Yeah. I saw a couple of games where you were like, you had a bunch of mana guys and you were on like three lands and <laughs> yeah. you like animated a forest and then they right. had a cast down in their hand and they like cast a Jade Light Ranger instead of killing your forest. Right. Which is both a 3-3 three, three and making two mana. Yeah. And all of the games that I lost, especially to cast down decks, were games where my opponents were very aggressive at killing all of my lands. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, honestly, that's how the top eight match played out, is that uh, the games that I lost, I was stuck on mana too much just because my opponents kept on, my opponent kept on killing all my lands, mm-hmm. and that was really rough for me because I, you know, all of a sudden now I can't mass manipulate for a lot, and it's just right. a dead, it's just a, a brick in my hand. Yeah. So going forward, I am... I'm just interested in like what strategies and what even individual card choices are likely to give an edge against. I mean, number one, the mass. Ma- if I'm not going to play mono red, yeah, because I don't want to play against Basilica Belhaunt all yeah. day long with mono red, <laughs> right? You know how how am I supposed how am I beating mass manipulation decks in general? And also, you know, what is Esper struggling against? What what would you not have wanted to play against? Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll, we'll start with Simic and then. I think that if. If players do a really good job keeping the mass manipulation deck off of their mana in the early turn, mm-hmm. and then also combining that with some element of pressure, that is going to be kind of like the key. Um, specifically with uh, the Esper matchup, I felt like the games that I was losing was kind of solely to Hero, where if they had a turn to Hero, my life got really difficult. And because mm-hmm. there's no deck, no, no card other than mass manipulation in my deck that can really deal with it. And in the early turns, it's just going to accrue a bunch of value. It's going to be able to pressure me. And if, if I'm on the back foot early with that deck, it can be really rough to, you know, turn the corner there. And the other thing with Hero is that if Hero's making a bunch of tokens, then once I, like, do get up to the point where I have a bunch of mana, I, you know, I can't take all of the tokens. I can just take, like, I'm my matchup against Gruul is really good because I could just get to take all the haymakers. Yeah. Uh, just being able to kind of flood the board with stuff. You know, like I, I lost to Jonathan Rossum in the tournament just because he had a multiple hero draw that was just kind of mm-hmm. insurmountable for me. So, like from the Esper perspective, I think that yeah, like early removal spells and Hero Precinct One are really crucial. And then, and that's how I would beat 
the deck with Gruel. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to dodge it in the tournament, yeah. uh, which is probably reflected in my results in Standard. Um, <laughs> but I have beaten the deck with Gruel, and that basically comes down to having a removal spell or two early to keep them off of just, like, catapulting up in mana. Yeah. And then it's really important to win the combat on the Nissa turn. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. If you ever let your opponent untap with a Nissa, the game should be over. Yeah. You know, unless they're on, like, only a couple of lands. And that's why the deck is pretty good, because it's not that hard to untap with Nissa. It makes a blocker and has six loyalty. That was, honestly, that was, like, my entire objective in, in so many matchups, is just, like, navigate a board state, especially against Gruul, is just, like, trying to navigate a board state and to pick your spot on, okay, now I'm going to slam Nissa because I know that I am like feel comfortable that I can make enough blocks to right. untap with it and mass manipulate everything else. And that's that's why I boarded in all of my collision classes in the matchup. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to kill a Hydra Crisis, like, I'm trying to trample over that specific combat. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Um, so if I'm trying to beat Esper, what what am I trying to do? From, I know, from an anything standpoint. Mm-hmm. Like, if, I, if I'm going to a tournament and thinking, like, I don't want to... Well, I don't want to play Monterey because it's bad against Esper, but I'm going to a tournament and I know that the good players there are going to be playing Esper. What should I be thinking of? Well, the first thing you should do is win the die roll. Great. But that actually transitions into like important gameplay things within the format mm-hmm. where the matchups against the green decks against gruel i think we have a good matchup and against the mass manipulation deck i think we have an overall bad matchup but one of the main things there is that just when they have elf on the play the game just becomes so hard to play yep and you can't really maximize that if you're playing the green decks but it's just important to understand the breakpoints in this format are very very advantageous to the person who's on the play so for example i think that the pillars of the format are planeswalkers the mono red deck um, Thought Erasure and Land Ralphs. Mm-hmm. And all four of those pillars are just way better on the play. Your Planeswalkers aren't getting pressured on the play. Your Land Ralphs is obviously more explosive on the play. Your Red Deck's better on the play. And your Thought Erasure just gets under more things on the play. For example, in Esper Hero, in a lot of matchups on the play, you can play your Hero on turn two, but on the pl- on the draw, you have to play your Thought Erasure on turn two. Like, for example, in the Mirror, you have to always Thought Erasure on the draw to take their Planeswalker before they can play it. So mm-hmm. you just can't even play your Hero on the draw, which is really frustrating. And if they have a Hero in play when you're doing that, exactly. then and you're just, just falling behind. Yeah. Um, and so I think that just like finding these explosive ways to get under the Esper deck and put them on the back foot, especially because their mana can be clunky and a lot of times they're relying on these Planeswalkers, mm-hmm. is pretty important. And that's why, like against Harlan, match one, uh, round one on camera, he just had Elf on the play on game one and three. And if you look at my hands, I'm pretty confident if I was on the play or if he didn't have specifically Land or Elf on the play, I would have won both of those games. And so these breakpoints can be frustrating, but just building your deck to maximize explosiveness and just hope that it lines up against the Esper deck stumbling is important. Hmm. And that's a sort of frustrating answer because it's like, you can't really do that much to maximize that, but I think that's just the truth of the situation where the Esper deck is playing a ton of good cards and it's kind of hard to attack and just getting under them quickly and sometimes they stumble is just a good way to have success. That's that's honestly one of the things that has drawn me to Lenore Elves decks in this format is because the, the play draw is so important, mm-hmm. but a lot of games when you're on the draw and you have Lenore Elves, like all of a sudden you're on the play. And that has just been an incredibly powerful way to buy some traction that you wouldn't have otherwise. You'd just be floundering as they like play a Teferi, bounce your drop. Mm-hmm. Like if you have Lano, like I just have had so many games where I'm like, how did I get so ahead? Yeah. And then I realize, oh, well, I just had an extra mana every single turn this yep. game. Yeah. Um, so just to briefly go over my tournament, I 
you know, tested a lot, played some Esper, played a fair amount of Simic Mass Manipulation, but was not brave enough to <laughs> pull the trigger on that one. Yeah. And then I just ended up going with Trusty Gruel. Uh, I did have some concerns about the deck going into the tournament because it was very much uh, the weekend before the Invitational deck, yeah. I, I think. Yeah. You know, Dylan kind of figured it out. We fell fell into the no Planeswalkers, all not, all creatures, Nullhide Ferox-focused build, in, which I, I do think is the most... As, has a lot of raw power, and also Nullhide Ferox as a card matches up really well against a lot of the stuff that's going on in the format. Most of my matches against Esper are decided by how many Nullhide Feroxes I draw. And the most satisfying thing in the world is when you get Thought Erasured, they see a Nullhide Ferox, you draw the second one, you cast one, and then they play their bell haunt, and you just get to put the, the surprise one into play. <laughs> feels good. It feels, feels really bad. good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I like I knew that the Esper matchup was getting worse and worse, and going forward, I absolutely would not play Gruel because I feel like the number of cast downs and D sparks in these lists is only going up, mm-hmm. and each one that gets added to the deck makes that matchup worse for Gruel. But the deck was still totally fine for me this weekend. I got some reasonable pairings. Um, you know, I went one and one against Esper, went one and one against Command the Dreadhorde. So splitting with kind of the most played decks, which is not, and the, that's about where I felt like my matchup was like 45% ish against Esper, probably a little above 50 against the Command the Dreadhorde decks. So not the best metagame deck of all time, but. It was pretty good against all of the random nonsense that I played against. So, you know, I played against some Mono Red. I played against a version of the Mirror that wasn't as good in the Mirror. I played against Tom Medvek on Jeskai Feather, which was a super interesting deck, but he drew two Spell Pierces game one against my 28 creature deck, and then Nullhide Ferox was just kind of a huge brick wall. Spell Pierce does not line up well against 6-6. Six, six. It's, <laughs> it's right. pretty poor there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, my standard portion went pretty well because a lot of people's spells did not line up well against 6-6. Six, six. Yeah. I played Phoenix in Modern. It really was kind of a foregone conclusion, but I wasn't able to do a lot of work figuring out exactly where I wanted the list to be. All I knew going in was that I definitely wanted to be on a gutshot version rather than uh, an all-in, like, Pyromancer Ascension, Noxious Revival version. Uh, mostly because I don't like choosing to lose to humans when I can choose to win against humans uh, in a tournament like this. And played against humans three times day one, so that was that felt kind of rewarded and then i played against arbor elf twice on day two so <laughs> gutshot was definitely an mvp yeah. this particular tournament i love some arbor elves the deck in its current iteration with two pyromancer ascensions and two finale of promise as kind of the like big card advantage payoffs that are not just your creatures it felt really good and really smooth I just had multiple games where I could kind of choose the direction I wanted to go if I wanted to start pressuring their life total and know that I could lean on Finale to reload. Or if I wanted to, you know, I was under pressure, I needed to get a little bit lucky, I could play a Pyromancer Ascension, go from there, and then just try to, you know, mise into turning it on and then have a really big turn. I got to cast Finale a couple of times with Pyromancer Ascension turned on. And feels good. It's, <laughs> it's a really little, broken. It's a little busted. <laughs> yeah. My last round was against Oliver Tomiko, and game two, he, he beat the crap out of me game one. Game two, I just played like a turn three Pyromancer Ascension, 
turned it on by turn four. Or I turned it on with a mana morphos on turn four, so I had enough mana to four mana finale of promise getting the mana morphos. So I pulled four cards out of my graveyard. It's like a mana morphos, a sleight of hand, a serum visions, and a thought scour. Or a thought, uh, yeah, and a thought scour. Sounds dead. And uh, he looks at it for a second and goes, those all get copied, right? And I was like, yeah, those all get copied. So then he just picks up his cards. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> doesn't happen that much but when it does it's yeah. really satisfying but but it is really cool that you have this powerful access to lean on that's not just i'm putting power and toughness yeah. into play yeah i got locked out by this pretty gnarly mono green arbor elf based karn deck yeah uh i watched zan lose to it and then i recognized my opponent didn't realize who it was and then i realized like just as we were starting that oh this is the arbor elf karn guy and there was one point in our third game when my opponent's board is Grafdigger's Cage, Grafdigger's Cage, Damping Sphere, Damping Sphere, Ensnaring Bridge, Trinisphere, and a Hornet Queen. But because I had Active Pyromancer Ascension, I was able to, end of turn, Echoing Truth, bounce the Grafdigger's Cages yeah. and the Damping Spheres, <laughs> cast a bunch of three mana spells on my turn. This is the only game I've ever played where one Pyromancer Ascension would not have won me the game. I really needed to double copy my metamorphos, yeah. <laughs> but we got there and the bouncing the artifacts to their hand so that I could get under ensnaring bridge with phoenixes was, Ooh, it was nice. nice. Solid. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's sort of how I felt with the Phoenix list recently where they just feel smoother mm-hmm. with the finales. So like the two different builds are the noxious version, which I feel like is super smooth. And that's the version that I let uh, lean towards mm-hmm. where you just have more cantrips and the noxiouses give you this explosiveness where you just feel super consistent and you have four ascension. And then I also like that with the fair builds, they've moved away from crackling Drake and surgical towards Gutshot and finale where I think you have a more cohesive and smooth plan against decks playing creatures. Mm-hmm. And I think finale just really lets you keep churning through your deck in like a very powerful way. And I think clean is a good way to describe it. Yeah. That's just how I felt. We had one crackling Drake still in the list. Yeah. And I think that was a mistake. Okay. That's um, interesting. It, I mean, you know, all, all, all I have to go on for that specifically is the eight rounds of modern that I played in the mm-hmm. tournament. But I pretty much never wanted to draw the Crackling Drake, and the one time that I did draw it and cast it, it was I should not even have cast it. I, sh- I should have scried it to the bottom, but I didn't have a way to kill my human's opponent, and so I chose to keep it on top so that I could represent, a, I could just put a threat into play and represent lethal over two turns, but it just ended up costing me so much tempo yeah. that it didn't didn't work out. It was a poor decision. Yeah, that's how I felt with Crackling Drake too, where... I feel like Phoenix, while it's really good at turning through its deck and it's sort of touted as this efficient tempo deck, you're actually losing tempo when you're casting these cantrips. Like, you're not really doing anything of consequence. So I've always felt like with Crackling Drake, when Crackling Drake is your thing that you do after cantripping a bunch, it just opens you up to just end this tempo abyss of you've already cantripped and now they reflect your major Crackling Drake or even just kill it where you're just so far behind then. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and that's that's pretty much how it's been playing out for me lately. I don't don't really think that Crackling Drake is, especially in our current future of modern, <laughs> Crackling Drake is not going to be the way to go. Yeah, we old Crackling Drake. <laughs> it's big old 8-8. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah, it does not win that particular matchup, I yeah. don't think. <laughs> I haven't seen it. We can't tell for sure yet. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't seem great. Let's see, what else should we talk about, like, invitational-wise, team-wise, testing-wise? I mean, I do want to 
kind of pat ourselves on the back a little <laughs> bit for what we have been accomplishing with this house. Yeah. So for anybody who doesn't know, we moved into a house. Uh, Collins, myself, Zansa, Jeremy Bertarioni, and Evan Whitehouse just moved in. But we were using this as a base of operations before the Invitational and pretty much every night and during much of the day. You know, the people who are living here, as well as Dylan Donegan, who's on Lotus Box, Abe came and stayed with us. And Zakinis was here the whole time, still is here as as we prepare for our GPDC. And it was just, I don't know, like we really have kind of reattained that like testing house vibe that I think was a big thing at certain points of the pro tour, but kind of hasn't mm-hmm. been a thing and especially not on the SCG tour. Yeah. And just the way that information flows through here. It's it, it it was extraordinary. I think. Yeah, something's working. Yeah. <laughs> and I've just felt that for the last month we've just come to such good decks every single weekend. And yeah. I think part of that is the testing house yeah. of just even though I wasn't here, just mm-hmm. having this information stream and just your having, voice has been in here yeah, quite a bit. My voice has been in here quite a bit. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Even and if you weren't yeah, here, me so. and Zach have been joking about it. Where we we refer to it as very dangerous. Uh, <laughs> it's a pretty dangerous place to be. But yeah, and. Just specifically since I've like joined Lotus Box, uh, I think that a really, really big singular turning point for me, just in Magic in general, was the second tournament where we played the Jeskai Planeswalkers deck. Yeah. Where that deck sort of broke it and just broke it for that weekend. It ended up sort of not being good for following weekends. Right. But it really just beat up the aggro decks and just people weren't prepared for the, you know, 18 Planeswalker shell that weekend. Yeah. And that was very much uh, on Thursday night, Zan was like, I built this deck, I'm working on it all week. It's broken. You guys should play it. And I wasn't really a believer, but Evan just plugged it into his little spreadsheet and he said, yep, this is the deck and you should play it, Abe. And I put my trust in them and it was just totally fantastic for that tournament. Yeah. I think that was very much a product of the environment that this house cultivates with the people within it and the people adjacent to it, sort yeah. of. Yeah. And just for me personally, that tournament, I did not get very much sleep the day before <laughs> uh, Sunday, yeah. so on, on Saturday night. Zan snores a little bit. I didn't really know that. I was new to the team. A but bit. Yeah. A lot. But <laughs> So for the team hotel room, I it was my first weekend staying in the team hotel because I was new to the team. And I didn't know that. And so I ended up getting three hours of sleep. And I'm not a person who can operate on three hours of sleep at all. And so I, I, the next morning I was just extremely exhausted. And I was, was I 9 out of that tournament? I think so. You did. I did not. You did not. Because I remember that you nine owed and then Zan won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Zan won. Okay, yeah. so I nine owed, and so going in, it just felt good to be nine o, but and to have the deck that I thought was just great for the room, but yeah. I was just mortified at how tired I was, and uh, so I won my first round. Then I took a draw against Jim Davis, where I just punted egregiously to not have the win because I just miscounted a very complicated board state with like Soren lifelinkers and he was like 30 and I had a bunch of thopters and I left back one too many, exactly one too many thopters where he ended up one life on turn five. And so it was just a really rough moment for me and I lost my next two matches on camera. And so it, so I was, then I found myself from 10 and 0 to 10, 2 and 1 and I just had to rattle off two wins to make top eight and I was getting featured every round and I just felt like the wheels were falling off. I kept missing all my triggers. I missed like on, from rounds 1 to 10, I missed 0 of my gain life triggers, and from rounds 11 to 15, I missed like 15, or whatever. 
and I just missed everything. I missed a bunch of Planeswalker passives. On camera, I drew a card into Oliver's <laughs> uh, into, into Oliver's uh, Narset, and I just immediately slammed my Sarkin on the table that killed him. And so it was just this awkward moment where he just scooped up his cards because he didn't realize either. And that moment just really solidified to me that like Lotus Box is just like the future of like, <laughs> the SCG tour. And where my teammates were just all around me, and they were just like, every round, they're just like, Abe, you look mortified. Like, you got to chill. You got this. And it was such like a crucial turning point for me just in Magic, where for the next few rounds, I just rallied, and I played on camera, and I played okay, and I just felt like death. <laughs> and afterwards, I went out. It was like the first summer day in the heat. We went and got like burritos before Top 8, because Xana's in Top 8 too. Yeah. And it was just hot, and it was just this moment of like clarity and relief of, I just Top 8 this tournament. This was a huge moment. We had the deck. It was just everything sort of came together, and I think that was the moment that like solidified me within Lotus Box and solidified that I'm doing the right thing, even if the right thing is not to sleep next to Zane <laughs> uh, It's all a learning process. Yeah, yeah, so now I've just been taking the pull-out sofa every time and yeah. just shutting the door tight, and it's been good so far. There you so go. There we are. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that was my little moment of Lotus Box. <laughs> yes. yeah. Well, good. Yeah. Every, every team has its quirks. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that Jeskai deck is also... I think it's a good example of a lot of things. And number one is just coming up with a powerful team deck that's really exploiting the format mm-hmm. and having multiple people absolutely just crush with it. Uh, also an example of just how quickly this standard format mm-hmm. moves. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's entirely because of the advent of Arena or also because there's so many powerful cards in the format so that there can be churn because so many different strategies have access to, to powerful things they can do. Probably mostly from Arena. But that deck, which was absolutely the deck for that weekend, mm-hmm. is completely unplayable now. Just yeah. not, it's in real f- bad. not even in right. the format. Zan tried a lot to play it, and yeah. we just yeah. had to just keep beating him with Esper Hero. It was, <laughs> it was me and John versus Zan, just over and over and over. Like he's like, "Nah, I'm just gonna play the the Jessica deck. It has it's it's not that bad against Esper." And I'm like. Listen, Zan, we got two Command the Dread Hordes, and we got three Elder Spells. I'll run this all day, and I'll keep crushing you until you stop playing this. <laughs> and then he stopped playing the deck. He went to Esper Hero, trusted his teammates, 12 forward. So it just, again, just went well. Yeah. Easy game. Yeah. yeah. Solid. Yeah, so really great season overall. We have, I mean, how much of Team Lotus Box is in the top 32 of the leaderboard? Uh, all of us? Everybody? Except for Cat. Oh, not Cat. Everybody? Okay. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah, not bad. We're doing it. Good good tournament. Did most of the team cashed. Yeah, uh, probably best performing team in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Two top eights, yeah. top 16. Um, yeah. And then Associates of Lotus Box also doing just fine. Extended so. family. I cannot yeah. I cannot complain about my position here. Yes. Um, actually managed to wrap up the season. I, you know, I've skipped a bunch of opens. I just haven't been able to go with work and stuff. But when I did play, I had great lists and was able to just a couple of decent finishes like a second and a classic and then this top 16 and i'm top 64 seasonal points which is not like a thing that doesn't get you anywhere but top 64 yearly points locks you for a buy for the next year and this is actually so i you know i am kind of like proud that i managed to just Kind of, I it did kind of stumble into that spot where I am. But what that what that's doing is it's motivating me to really hit the tournaments for the second half of the year. Yeah, and you know that you can do it when you do dedicate the time mm-hmm. into it. So yeah, yeah. or I, I you think know, this next season is going to be looking great. Give me lists or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it's powerful part of it. Well. Yeah. That's a good strategy. What do you mean? This is what everybody else on the team does. You formed a strategy. You're executing. It's going well. <laughs> yeah. 
But I, I do want to talk about that as sort of, because this is my example of, this is a great tournament series structure. Yes. Mm-hmm. You get points for every tournament you go to, even if you bomb out, you get your participation point. Yeah. You are constantly like getting a little bit, and it's it's totally like this Pavlovian thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it's definitely like exploiting a the cracks in my psychology <laughs> to make me want to chase these tournaments for the yeah. second half of the year. Yeah. But it works. Oh, yeah. And it is insane to me that the primary, you know, the Wizards, whatever their, like, competitive, whatever their organized play target is, it's Mm. insane to me that they are not copying this model. Yeah, yeah. I don't know when they play the MPL matches. Right. No clue. Nobody watches the MPL. It's It's Saturdays during the day. Yeah. (laughs) Why? Thanks for telling me. Turn on the energy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I only knew that because I was listening to a different podcast today when they mentioned that. Like that's the oh, okay. I, I've I've seen some vods of the MPL and stuff, and it's boring. <laughs> Sometimes the players are just like not even on their webcams. You're just like watching a mouse move across the screen and mm-hmm. drag cards into play. And they have commentators, but the commentators are like at home in front of a webcam. There's no, like, tournament atmosphere. Mm-hmm. There's none of the energy that you get when you watch an SCG event or a Pro Tour. And and obviously, it just all feels not real because none of us have any chance of playing in those matches at yeah. any point. And so that was something I was thinking just even when you were saying this is, like, how much of, of that is us being within the, you know, the top, the top tier of the SCG circuit mm-hmm. of... I didn't expect to feel like a camaraderie or whatever, but it's really nice to just see your friends every weekend and just to be within this thing. Mm-hmm. And so maybe if... I was within that other circuit, then I would feel similar things. But now, like they're also barring us from that, essentially. Where yeah. now they've taken away pro points from GPs, and they're going to take away buys from GPs. I heard. I don't know if that's true. Hmm. I don't know. So it just feels like there's no way for me to be within that if I wanted to be. It right. just seems totally arbitrary. And I, I even got picked for the the Red Bull thing, and. I'm, like, happy, and then everyone else in the room is like, yeah, I didn't get accepted. I'm like, okay, well, I run the raffle. Okay. (laughs) Play my qualifier at 3 a.m., I guess. It just feels weird. Like, this is, like, the future, and that is the future is what's Mm -hmm. messed. That's Red Bull. Like, that is the thing in the future. For sure. And it feels weird to now, in this specific instance, be a part of it by total raffle, and I don't feel any connection to it, and it should feel more special than it does. Mm -hmm. And... That just sucks, I think. Yeah. No, I think so. I like. I am so excited for our future on yes. the Star City circuit. Outside of that, though, it just like all of this doesn't feel yeah. real to me anymore. Even moving forward for me, I now that I've locked up the Players Championship, I was sort of thinking, well, now I'll go to the SCGs that are reasonable for me to go to. I'll skip maybe a couple the next season, maybe two, and I'll play some GPs and really try to get to the Pro Tour because that's always been my goal within Magic. And mm-hmm. I don't feel the same way anymore like i don't even care as much and that's messed up and like i'm the person who like i wanted it i I still want it so bad but it just feels different well what happens you top eight a gp exactly you go to that gp's pro tour you have to x4 yes that's the only way yeah if you do congratulations you have to x4 again Again. (laughs) yeah it's so messed up and it's just yeah it just feels frustrating where before if you'd spike you know you'd be quote unquote on the train if you just had a medium pro tour finish mm-hmm. you know i was always hovering it was frustrating i was always, always hovering at like eight or nine pro points and like if i i was also thinking like if i were to break through in the gp in top eight then you go to the pro tour and you're silver and then you get the chains invites and it was just this whole thing and there was the train and there was the pro community and now it just feels like everyone's so ostracized and separated from each other and 
it's just doesn't have the same feel it feels so mechanical and yeah like distant and then other thing that also i think makes it really confusing the i think there's a conflation of like competitive play and exhibition play Mm -hmm. that's like very confusing for both viewers and participants i i don't have any problem with special invites by wizards of the coast and if especially you know if the stated goal is to increase diversity of play at the highest levels but i think that that isn't really done by inviting streamers to play in these specific tournaments that are like going to give you massive points towards qualifying for worlds that doesn't make a lot of sense to me what makes a lot of sense to me would be to elevate the competitive players who are from underrepresented groups and so you know if they're gonna extend invitations why are they not extending them to like Annalise Faustino or you know like women who kick ass at competitive magic it makes it really confusing like what these mythic championships are supposed to be are they supposed to be competitive play are they supposed to be you know exhibition matches that are just for funsies and I think it is great. I think it's totally fine to have exhibition matches, even, you know, give them lots of prizes, like make them make them stand for something. But the fact that, like, we're kind of replacing Pro Tours with this makes it really hard to see, like, what's the future of people who just want to battle? Yeah, like the the, the battlers are sort of on their way out. Like mm-hmm. you look at Christian Calcano and I had like a really like long conversation with him over this invitational weekend about magic and it's just there doesn't feel like a future for him and he just feels like super like separate from it and that's messed up and he's like he was the guy who growing up in new york city i was like i want to be like calcano calcano would go to every gp he was like the guy mm-hmm. and yeah it was it's just really tough that he can't really play magic anymore yeah yeah i mean it, it definitely and, and i want to be clear that this is not me being like critical of the people that wizards has picked to invite to this yeah, tournament or anything like that. Like, all of yeah. them clearly care about magic and deserve to go do cool yeah, magic I stuff. I want our game to get exposure. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Like, really, the thing that I think I'm being critical of is just the way that they've kind of sliced apart the Pro Tour in order to create the MPL. And it's really <clears throat> become apparent that that is a redistribution of resources rather than a pumping of resources into organized play. Yep, I think that's a good way to put it. And it's frustrating to look at. It's not. It's really hard to dream about playing in the Pro Tour anymore. Yeah. I'm trying. I don't know. Yeah. Now we can all dream about playing on the PC. Yeah. Oh, We're yeah. not even dreaming. <laughs> yeah, no dreaming here. Yeah. Just sleeping. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Got there. Now yeah. we can exactly. back. <laughs> That's how it feels, yeah. Yeah. This this week has been a very different feel from last week. Right now we're just testing for the Horizons GP. It's a fun, like, new, really complicated limited format. And yeah. We're all just hanging out. And playing magic for fun again. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Right. I did have to talk Zan down a little bit because he was feeling a little stressed out about prepping for this tournament. <laughs> and I, I had to be like, Zan, it's a GP. We're just jamming. We're just jamming. GPs yeah, yeah. aren't that big of a deal anymore. Right. Hey, what's and... a GP? Magic Fest? <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, like I, I wish that I could go to this one. I know you guys yeah. have been doing a lot of work on Horizons and it sounds like you've gotten really far into, mm-hmm. you know, figuring the format out. Yeah. It's gonna um, be a snowy weekend. It's it'll be a snowy weekend. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So like snow two, June. Two yeah. two minute crash course, just your your feelings about the format. What are what are the best decks? What are you what are you hoping to end up in? Uh we really love snow. The other archetypes that we think are pretty solid are black red sacrifice, uh 
I really like ninjas a lot. Some of the other like pretty linear archetypes can be really strong. Slivers is is pretty weak. We mm-hmm. found for the most part. Um, you can have five color decks if you have like a lot of bombs in your deck. Mm-hmm. Main main parts of the like o- like overall picture of the format, I would say, is that uh, in draft synergy is everything. You want to yes. make sure that you're drafting a coherent deck that like does something. Mm-hmm. You just you can't get away with just drafting good cards. Your deck will be very very bad. Mm-hmm. To add to that. Snow is just far and away the best deck, in my opinion, and yeah. I think you Ooh. should yeah. end up Snow most drafts right now, based on the public. I think that if you're doing a draft with people who all think Snow is really good, then you should do what you should still do in the format of, I think you're, it's really good to stay open for a long time in this format, and then move into whatever niche deck you think is open on the wheel. Yeah. So a lot of times, you'll draft, for example, I did a draft where on the wheel, there was just a bunch of Black Ninjas cards, and I went into the Ninjas deck, and I think the Ninjas deck's very good when you get it, mm-hmm. but it's really hard to get. And so we haven't had success where we've been trying to focus test ninjas then because we think it's good. And if you just go into a draft, like being like, I really want to draft ninjas this draft, it's just horrible. And so it's hard to actually test each individual archetype because I think that the archetypes are supposed to just fall into your lap sort of, except for snow, which I think is so it's just so deep yeah Yeah, there's just so so many really good snow cards from our experience. And there's Uh, always a basic. You never miss a pick because you just fall back on the basic. So how highly... Are you taking on color snow basics? Is it mostly when you don't have a great card to take, or you know, like around when in the pack are you usually leaning towards those? Um, for forest and island, you'll take them a little higher. I'd say around like pick, but not super high, like around pick six. Okay, I'd say. And then for the other ones, you really just want to get them on the wheel, and mm-hmm. they help you splash cards, especially because I think green is far and away the best color, and a lot of the green cards fetch basics, and so you really just need one off-color snow basic to splash a good white card and have a snow basic that helps facilitate your deck. Right, and then so, your druid gets both of those at the exactly, same time. Exactly, your druid or your tusk or your crozen guy or whatever gets yeah. all of them. Yeah, and. cool. So are you, you know, when you are, like, opening up your pack and you're taking, like, first, second, third picks... Are you paying attention to the color of the basic that's in the pack? Is that is that a thing at all? I mean, I should be, okay. but <laughs> yeah. am I? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it's not so important that you need to do things like that super proactively. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you know, if you have the mental capacity to track those things, then you're going to get a little bit of an edge, but it's yeah. not that important. Yeah, yeah. And, and may not be important enough to spend energy on if yeah. it's not right. coming naturally yeah. to you yet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. All right, so I said we'd talk about Hogak. <laughs> Been playing a little modern. Oh, God. <laughs> since I am not preparing for this Modern Horizons Limited GP, uh, my next couple of tournaments are going to be modern. Although I do still need to find a team for Philly, but that's, you know, that's in the back of my head. I, I'm sure that I will be able to set that up. Uh, modern is looking a little busted right now. <laughs> the printing of uh, Altar of Dementia, Carrion Feeder, and Hogak yeah. all at the same time has pretty much just on its own created a powerful new graveyard-based deck that does gross things. Yeah. We played a couple of leagues with it, beat every single hate card in the format. (laughs) Yeah. The, you know, at at one point our opponent played a two-drop, and we were like, oh, okay, we win. (laughs) And that just, they were, like, our Spirit's opponent tapped out for not rest in peace. Yep. (laughs) And so then we made 20 power. And it wasn't even, you know, we didn't really know what we were going to be able to do, but then we drew a card and it was a carrion feeder. Mm -hmm. So we were able to sacrifice our Stitcher Supplier, and then we just, doesn't take that many cards in the graveyard before you can cast. Hogak is so easy to cast. so easy to cast. It's so messed up. Yeah. I think... 
we, we've just been talking about it, and I don't even think decks that main deck rest in peace have that much equity because, for example, the cars and suggested we just play blue white with four rest in peace main, and they draw that around a little less than fifty percent of the time, in game, especially in game one when you can't mulligan aggressively for it because you don't know where your opponent's on. Yeah, and. In the 50% of games, you don't try your rest in peace. You just can never, ever win with blue white. You just can't win. Of you course, can't win. Yeah. It's like, it's like, well, what if we have ousts and stuff? I'm like, it doesn't matter. You're just so dead. Yeah. And you oust the Hogak, they cast a yeah. Hogak from their graveyard. Yeah. And like, even when you draw the rest in peace, if you're on the draw, you still probably lose half those games because they just get <laughs> under you and they just have eight power in play and they just kill you. Yeah. So I expect that my team for Pittsburgh, whatever it is, uh, mm-hmm. will be playing 200 and. 25 cards that 12 of them are hogak yep i i foresee the same thing for my team probably yeah. the, uh, i i mean it's possible that modern adjusts such that everybody is playing cards that you know a main deck that is fast enough to compete and then yeah. like six hate cards in the board or something like that uh i know that kind of the only other deck that has looked like it can compete is vizier combo because yes. you can stumble into the combo you can run rest in peace. You can run hate creatures that you can get with your tutoring spells, and your mana guys let you like make those hate creatures actually come into play on time. Yeah, that's pretty much the only deck, only other deck I'm considering right now. Mm-hmm. Where I know that Edgar was working on a Vizier list that he was doing really well with that looked really sweet, and with the new Mother of Ruins and Eldamri's call, you just have a lot of consistency with finding your combo mm-hmm. and. You're fast enough to maybe beat the Hogak deck, but that you know the jury's still out on that one. They might just murder you. That's that's a matchup that absolutely requires some focused one on one testing time. Fortunately, the Hogak deck I think has a kind of locked in core right now. It, I mean, maybe in the future it gets more dredgy or something like that, depending on how things play out. But there's not a lot of wiggle room within the deck. So if we figure out ways to exploit it, it's very likely that then you can exploit all of your Hogak opponents. Honestly, the only card that has seemed to be actively good against the deck is Leyline of the Void, though. Yes, it's it's only fast enough. Yeah. Playing a deck that doesn't beat it game one and then has Leyline's game two and three is not a good enough strategy. So I agree. You know, I've been very low on, you know, discussions about whether something is ban-worthy or not in Modern. I haven't felt that anything has been anywhere close to ban-worthy since KCI. People talking about banning Faithless Looting post-KCI banning. Let's not slander KCI here, but okay. (laughs) I honestly wasn't certain they were going to ban KCI. KCI was the good guy. Everyone else was the villain. Uh KCI kept kept, kept doing line, you know? Okay, sure. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. Come on. KCI is just the hero. Everyone just, it's just, just outnumbered here, surrounded by KCI players. <laughs> yeah. It was the hero. It was just, it kept everything yeah. in check. It was as, great. As someone who played, you need to get him tier two. Beautiful, clean. You know, think when you hear KCI, just clean. Just, mm-hmm. just good guy. As someone who played a lot of Phoenix in a KCI meta, I really felt like the good guy in those battles. <laughs> nah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but like, since then... Any all the band discussions about like his faith was looting too good. I didn't put any no no th- stock like in that. that's an, I felt like that was an insane thing to do. And obviously the meta then adjusted, and the Phoenix decks got a little inbred to battle each other, and humans became good again. Mm-hmm. And you know we saw the meta change and evolve, which is a thing that happens in a format as powerful as modern. You can answer almost anything. Yeah. This is a threat that I am 
I'm very low in confidence that we're going to figure out the correct way to answer uh, it. I think we got zero man eight eight in the bag. We'll just uh, fight that battle. Yeah, I, I think that's the way you do it, is you just pick up the same gun that your opponent is, fight, is shooting at you. Yep. <laughs> Sounds like a nightmare. It's a problem. I think it's a yeah. problem. Yeah, agreed. I haven't done really any testing in modern, but I have been looking over the shoulder of you and other people playing some Hogak and... Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> Our, we, we played against an Eldrazi Tron opponent who just chaliced us. We couldn't cast any spells for the entire game. Still easily won. Easily won the game. <laughs> yeah. We cast a Bloodgast. Right. And that was it. And yep. we easily won the game. Yep. And and maybe a couple Hogaks. Well, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> as, as far as like actual spells from our hand, Hogak oh, sure. just kind of comes yeah, into I mean, play from the Cast is a strong word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Why is it an 8-8? Why does it have Trample? Like, if it were a 4-4, it would still be a really good card. Yep. Yes, I agree. 8-8 <laughs> was an interesting decision. Yeah. yeah, I would say egregious design mistake. Pretty egregious. Yeah. But, you know, honestly, though, I would be so happy if they, like, um, kind of preemptively banned Hogak, and then, and then people got to explore... Uh, mm-hmm. modern because yeah. I think that there's a lot of stuff from Modern Horizons that has a lot to add to modern but it's, all of that is just getting completely overshadowed by Hogak it is I was really excited to try a couple of Force of Negation yeah. inside yeah. of my Phoenix deck of course I, like yeah. the, I love the new mom right yeah yeah. Very I think cool. the mom even creates some new archetypes I agree but yeah none of it's just none of it's really playable in comparison this is a combo deck that I had an opponent play like turn two Thalia, turn three Vryn Wingmare, which is just a way to get another Thalia in play, basically. Yeah. But you just cast all creatures. It doesn't matter. Yeah. None of none of the ways to fight combo matter against the deck. Can we get Thalia for creature spells? <laughs> I guess you can damping sphere them, but that doesn't really do very well. I mean I think it's just Leyline or Bust. It's pretty much Leyline. Yeah. Grafting's Cage? Grafting's Cage is pretty good. It doesn't stop bridge, right? It doesn't stop bridge, but it does make it a lot harder to get stuff Tokens, into yeah. play. All right, that's fair. You know, um, like you can't, you can't cast your Hogak and you can't cast Grave Crawlers. Cast from your hand. How's how's Rapture after against the deck? It's not that good. It's really easy to fill your graveyard up again, and you may, I mean, yeah, when you like Stitcher Supplier, you put three cards into your graveyard at a time, but sometimes you just like untap for your turn and use the cards that you put in your graveyard the last turn yeah and you know yeah maybe you sacrifice like avenge vine for tokens and then you sacrifice a hogak for tokens and then you cast the hogak again and then you sacrifice it for tokens and then they can rav trap you that's they're not getting anywhere wow okay yikes so, you know, sometimes I, I bet you can blow them out with it. Sure. But if you're playing against a good player who's experienced with the deck and is putting you on Rav Trap, mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to yeah, get very just, far. I don't think for this tournament it's just worth fighting that fight. I think, especially in these team tournaments, I found that the teams normally don't play the same deck. Mm-hmm. You just run Hogak three times, and maybe we'll get you once. But yeah, you're, right, just, yeah. you're just going to roll them. Yeah, <laughs> probably. You'll spend a solid, like, $500 on buying Hogak. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I literally told my team today, I was like, Start finding Hogax now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. three weeks away. Yeah, no, not incorrect. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping that they ban it before that, but I don't know about that. <laughs> emergency bans are... It's been a long time since an emergency ban. Yeah, I don't think they do it for an SCG. Yeah. I've, if there's if there's any time. <laughs> well, when is... Wait, when is the modern PT? Or modern Mythic Championship? 
When is that happening? I know we've got the arena one coming up soon, so the modern one can't be for a while, but... Yeah, I have no idea. We will see. Yep. Yep. As far as other cards from Modern Horizons go that we were excited about until this thing sort of happened, I know we've been pretty focused on prepping for the NV and then prepping mm-hmm. for Modern Horizons, but you guys have actually been playing the limited format, so yes. have you spotted any cards that you thought I'd really like to play with this in Constructed? Anything in particular? Um... We will do a... Modern Horizons focused episode yes. next week, mm-hmm. which is insane because they just started M twenty previews. Yeah, this Modern Horizons isn't even out yet. <laughs> yeah, a little overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know the the new Ranger of Eos guy mm-hmm. seems really really strong. Yeah, um, I can see that both in humans and in some D and T shells. Sure, that's definitely interesting. I thought the one card that stuck out to me was On Thin Ice. I think oh, yeah. that card is really sweet. Mm-hmm. And is that the that's the, the chain to the rocks. Yeah, the snow yeah. chain to the rocks, okay. essentially. And I still don't think blue white is a good deck, even despite people playing it all the time. Yeah, uh, it's, it's just it's just not a consistent good modern deck that's fast not, enough. It's just not proactive. Yeah, and, and that's a really and I think that uh, Ice goes a long way towards helping that deck consistently answer early threats. Where Path Exile was a really good card, but they just relied on it so so heavily that it was taxed really hard. And on the nice, I think that you have a critical mass of early interaction where your planeswalkers can live more and yeah. you can get things snowballing. Yeah. Do you not think being sorcery speed is too big of a detriment to that card's playability? No, I think it's just one mana, okay. so it just works. But okay. it could you, be. You're not going to play it over path. You're going to play it. Yeah. In and, yeah, I think you're going to just play four and four, probably. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so I it's mean, like it's like the new Alist, I guess. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean that that certainly makes sense, but we definitely have seen very few sorcery speed removal spells have success okay. in modern. That's interesting. No. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And I don't know if, how much of that is just, like, the pushed removal spells that Wizards prints that are at a power level appropriate for modern tend to be instants, or if modern actually really demands that you be able to act yeah. when you need to. I haven't really thought about that, honestly. Could be too slow. Okay. I mean, I ran a flame slash this weekend. It was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So, who there knows? You go. <laughs> yeah. Um, Importantly, a sorcery for uh, finale. Yes, ac- mm-hmm. extremely important, actually. Yeah. Also, uh, on that note, I think uh, Mag- Magmatic Sinkhole could actually be an important role player player mm-hmm. for the Phoenix decks because it gives you a pretty clean answer to Narset because that card True. can hit Planeswalkers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think that card is extremely important going forward. The, the ability to kill Lyra's as well as mm-hmm. that without having to board in like a really clunky removal spell like a beacon bolt or something hopefully I don't have to play lightning axe in the future because I get to play this card yeah that would be nice right. um, so yeah it seems like a pretty clear uh, replacement to lightning axe for now but who knows yeah. I mean lightning axe works when you don't have a graveyard every yeah. once in a while that's relevant mm-hmm. but probably not enough to not play just the much better card so also, fingers crossed that at some point I get to play that enchantment that gains your opponent 10 life and then lets you storm off with counters. That card's sweet. It's really sweet. But Exploration of Modern for now is going to be very Hogak-focused. You gotta play it or you gotta beat it, and playing it at this point seems much more likely to me. Yeah. I'm excited to have a lot of time in between rounds. Oh, yeah. These right. games are quick. If you... So, it may be too late... And especially by the time this podcast comes out, it almost certainly will be too late. If you want to farm modern leagues, oh, play right. Hogak, every league takes about 45 minutes, <laughs> yeah. and you will have a positive win rate get if you play nice, reasonably. Get yourself a nice snack, sit down, get yeah. some Hogak, mm-hmm. that's it. 
Yeah. It was good living. 4 1 some leagues. Oh, yeah. It felt impossible not to 4 1 leagues. Oof. Feels good. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to you about that earlier. It's whenever you like find a deck that you're consistently 4 1 with, mm-hmm. let's go. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Run it. Yeah. So I'm definitely uh, pretty late with this particular message, but <laughs> if you want to farm some modern leagues, this is by far the most efficient way that you could ever imagine doing it. Fair enough. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Um, shout out to Noah Strassler. Mm. Uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, there, there's no transition to this, but I, I knew I wanted to mention it. Uh, I played Noah for my win in for the Invitational Top 8. Yep. And I have never played against somebody who, uh, like, the games 1 and 3 were just not close at all. And, uh, I, you know, I was playing Dredge Against Humans, and it was I just had good draws, and it was over. But he was just the most pleasant human mm-hmm. being to play against throughout losing his win in for top eight. And I I thought that was just awesome. And afterwards, he helped me test for my top eight match that night. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I don't know. Just shout out to Noah Strassler for being an awesome dude. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate it. Also, just separate from him being an awesome dude, I've never interacted with him, but he's been winning a lot right lately. Yeah. And so, shout out to him. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I, <laughs> this is probably not quite um well i mean it's funny so maybe it is on the positive end of things yeah while you were busy in the living room uh jamming with noah strassler figuring out exactly how your opponent was likely to board against you how yeah. you should board how yeah. the games were going to play out john rossum <laughs> also in the top eight of the invitational yeah was in the kitchen kind of getting drunker and drunker as the night went on uh at one point we fi- we found out who like the top eight uh, in order to keep this PG for our younger <laughs> viewers, the, the top eight most attractive men on the SCG tour are... Excellent, um, excellent. I didn't make the list. I did discover that I am not a twink, officially <laughs> oh, confirmed. Oh, that's just so unlucky. By John Rossum. God. That's a bummer. I yeah. also was not a twink. Unlucky. Yeah, that's true. We we're just not quite in that particular I'm a twink. Category. Did I make the list? Yeah. You, you are in that category. I don't remember exactly who was on the list because I was most paying attention to like what was going to happen with my name after people pointed me out. So. Fair, fair. <laughs> oh, excellent. Um, Love to see it. Yeah. You can go to the Lotus Box party after the next Envy, probably. Try to, try to come. You know, come, yeah. come come chat with me. Come hang out. We had a couple of listeners come and chat. That's always super cool. Love saying hi to you guys. And if you happen to be at the Envy when you do it, I'll make sure that, you know, you can come by the Lotus Box party and yeah. sort of see what happens For there. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> cool. There's some celebrating. <laughs> yeah. We yeah, had there's, some stuff to celebrate. Yeah. It was great. It's a good time. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Cool. Um, so thanks so much to everybody for listening really really appreciate you all hanging out um abe thanks for joining us yeah thanks so much uh congratulations again i'm super pumped for you Uh, thanks number one number one one. (laughs) unreal that's so cool yeah so really really appreciate everybody coming and hanging out with us if you want to find us online you can head over to mtggrindcast.com you can find links to all of our episodes there as well as links to collins's coaching services and you can find links to our Patreon as well, or just go straight to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. We are creeping ever closer to episode 100. So that's in two weeks. Starting episode 100, we are going to be streaming recording live, and starting with episode 100, we will be having uh, an updated list of Patreon rewards. So definitely look forward to that. We are looking forward to what we can send out to you guys. If you want to go there and lend us some lend us some support awesome if not no worries really appreciate uh we've been getting 
slowly ticking up in listeners, so y'all have been telling your friends. Really, really cool of you. Uh, please keep doing that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, thanks so much, and have a great week. Peace.